Well, good morning, church. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to eventually uh, head over to John chapter 14 as we uh, talk about peace um, today. And uh, for whatever reason, this Christmas season, probably because of uh, just being home more, uh, I've just listened to way more Christmas music than I ever have before. And, um, and Christmas music wasn't always my favorite, but I've really enjoyed it this year. And one of my favorite songs that has come uh, through that is that song we just sang, Go Tell It on the Mountain. I asked Chris last week if we could sing it. And I, there's something about the reminder of Jesus' birth and our responsibility to do something about it. That it's not just this gift that we take and we hide, but it's something that we proclaim that's been really uh, encouraging to me. Um, I, I have to say, I, I took Thursday and Friday off uh, this last week because Rich is going to be gone here this week. And um, we have a puppy. And so relaxation was not really what I did um, during my time off. And uh, yesterday afternoon, I was just starting to feel uh, kind of down and tired. And, uh, you know, we've got some of the same things going on that you guys have, some of the debates that are going on in families about meeting and not meeting. And uh, we have, uh, um, you know, just, I've never led a church during a pandemic before, and uh, we've gotten a lot of feedback, some who are very thankful, and some are reminding us of things that we could have done better. And, and I, you know me, I take those things personally. And so there's just all this stuff going on, not to mention uh, leaky roof, and, and all those things that kind of stress you out. My wife said, you know, are you okay? And we were talking through it. And I said, I've got a busy week. And, and how can I help you? And, and finally, and somehow, I, being a guy, I said, well, we'll just get through this week. And my wife said, I, I don't want to just get through this week. I want to enjoy this week. And the man brain was like, hmm, what words is she saying? What, what language is she speaking? What does she mean by this enjoy? And, you know, there's, there's a part of peace, uh, as Rich was saying this morning, it was hard to take him seriously with that mask on, was it not? But it was, there's a part of peace that for me just means absence of conflict. In other words, I'm not fighting. But the Old Testament word for peace is much deeper than that. It has the idea of completeness, fullness. And it has the, more of an idea of, of, of restoration happening and working together. And so when I look at the week, I say, let's just have as few conflicts as possible. When my wife looks at the week, she says, let's have as much joy and completeness and fullness. And she's right. I know that, I must repent. So, you know, don't have to tell me later. If I, I get it. But I think that often in the church, and as Christians, we are viewing peace incorrectly. And so today, I, I want to talk about why do we seek peace? Where do we find peace? And I think probably most importantly, how do we maintain it? How do, we, how do we keep feeling that? In, in, a, in a period of time where we've just gone through a, a really hostile election and we've gone through this, we're going through this pandemic and people have all these, what, what is it with peace more than anything else? 
So first of all, why do we seek it? We need to know what it means. And I've already said what it is. In the Old Testament word, the word is shalom. And it means complete or whole. And it can be used uh, you know, between nations that are coming to peace. Or it can be used of a wall. In the Old Testament, this, this wall is complete. It's finished. It's whole. And so it really has kind of a, uh, just, I, I want to keep that idea there of complete or wholeness. The world says peace is freedom from disturbance. That peace is the absence of conflict. The Bible says peace is completeness or wholeness, and it has an idea of being fulfilled. And so here's why the difference matters. Here's a, here's a very maybe well-known proverb, and it says this, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. The principle of this proverb is not that God makes his enemies stop um, bothering him. It's a statement of restoration. If we think of it in the, in the terms of wholeness, it means that God makes our enemies to work with us. That we, we come into a, not just a place of not fighting, but a place of working together. And here's why this matters. Some of us might say, I, I have peace in my marriage. But if you're honest, and I'm probably just talking to the guys here, some of that peace is because you just know what buttons not to push anymore. It's not that, it's not that that problem is solved, it's just that you know what going down that road means, so you don't go down that road anymore. That's not peace, that's avoidance, by the way. And we can say the same things in our work relationships or in, in our finances or in our relationship with the world. Just because we're not having conflict doesn't mean from a biblical point of, uh, of view that we're at peace. And so um, you know, we, we need to think about what it is that God wants in this shalom, this wholeness. Now I will say this, the Greek word doesn't have the same fullness of the Hebrew definition. But I think that we have to take the Hebrew definition of God's peace and bring it into the New Testament. That which was first comes into the New Testament. It's what God is speaking about. So why don't we have peace? Well, I think we, most of us know it's because of the fall. Because we've rebelled against God. And we went back through this when we talked about hope, but after the the bringing of judgment, right? We recognize now that the fall has created a brokenness in our relationship with God, our relationship with ourself. It's, bring, it's bring a, a, a brokenness in the relationship with the world. God says, now there's going to be thorns and weeds and stuff. And in the garden before the fall, when you planted an apple tree, you got an apple tree. Now when we plant an apple tree, we kind of wait and see, well, I don't know, what's going to come up? I mean, most likely an apple tree, but three other things could come up with it. And so we have this brokenness with the world, and we have brokenness with one another. And from the church point of view, too often, and please understand, I, I'm, sir, I'm not downgrading this, but we only talk about peace with God and a relationship with God. And yet I know so many people in the church who don't have peace with themselves. Have you ever had those inner conversations with yourself where, where you're hearing the voice, you're not good enough? 
where, where you, you'll never be enough. You'll, and you go, where does this conversation, do other people have these conversations in their head? We, we have a brokenness with self. Or that conversation could be, it's all about you and you're the greatest. And, and if you're having that conversation, that's a bad one as well. And we, we see all the brokenness in the world, in our societies, in our cultures, in our, in our systems. And so many times, even within the church, we have brokenness with one another. So the fall brings this. And when we talk about completeness, so my question instead of what is shalom, my question is why do we seek it? And, and here's, here's my answer. It's not just the absence from spiritual problems or self-problems, but what we're really seeking is restoration. We want our relationship with God to be restored. Not that he's just not angry, his wrath isn't upon us because of our sin, but that we're working again for the kingdom of God together. That, that God is working through me and power of the Holy Spirit with all my gifts and strengths and abilities and things that he has laid before me in Ephesians chapter two to do that, that we're working in harmony together. Not just that I'm at peace with God, okay, I'm not going to hell, but that I am now a part of the kingdom of God and building the kingdom of God. I, I want restoration with, with myself restored. I, I want to see that, that I am whole and complete. And I, I would go back to the garden again where shame enters the picture. And I, I think that we, we don't think enough about shame and, and yet we live in it all the time. And what I tell my students is, you don't realize how much every day you live in shame because of the fall. How much do we think about what somebody else thinks of us? Or, or if I'm dressed correctly for the situation, or if I'm going to be good enough for this class, or, I mean, we, we live in this pressure constantly of what is, and that didn't exist before the fall. We don't, know, we don't know what it's like to live without shame. We want our relationship with the world to be restored. And if you don't believe that, watch the news for 15 minutes. It's a constant conflict of our, our culture is broken. There's groups of people who are being ignored or there's, there's problems with our environment. I mean, we want not just Peace, we want restoration. And obviously with others. We don't want to just get along. We want to work together for the kingdom of God. Right from the beginning in the garden, Adam and Eve had a vision, mission statement. Go, multiply, fill, subdue. And I would argue we have the same mission. We're not just supposed to be survivors. We're to be builders, change agents, the hands and feet of Jesus. So when we, when we sit in our homes going, peace, I wish, I wish we had peace, what we're really looking for is more than the absence of conflict. We're looking for restoration. So where do we find it? Look at John chapter 14 and there's, there's a large sermon going on here, and this is towards the end of Jesus' life, and he's getting ready to depart, and he's giving 
his, his disciples a whole bunch of instructions from John chapter 14, uh, really even before that, John chapter, uh, end of John chapter 13, uh, all the way through uh, 16. We're not gonna read the whole thing, don't worry. Um, and, and then ending with his high priestly prayer in 17. So this is, this is a long, long sermon. I don't know whether he did it at one time or multiple times, but, but here we're just kind of jumping into a few parts that have to do with peace. And so John chapter 14, if you could look at verse 25. And so Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. Okay, he's just talked about the, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And he's just promised the Holy Spirit. And so he, this is kind of, again, the beginning of this. He's talked about loving one another. He says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. That's helpful, right? They've just gotten this huge, how am I ever gonna remember all this? And don't worry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you with that. Verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Uh, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I have loved the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Here's, here's part one of the sermon, the end of that. And when we, when we think about peace, Jesus is going to pick this up. Let's just keep your finger here. And, and skip over to chapter 16. He's going to pick up some of these things. Again, in verse 25, he said, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will also ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask in the Father, on, uh, I will, that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I have come. I have come from the Father, and I have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. This is as plainly as he can say it. Here's what's about to happen. So the disciples, aha, now you are speaking plainly and not using figures of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, do you believe? Right, he knows about what's going to happen, right? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will all be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And then Jesus prays for them. Where do we find peace? Well, let me start by giving you a few places you won't find peace. You're not going to find peace in this world. Now, 
Dave, that is not very encouraging. You're supposed to be, you're supposed to make us feel better. Um, Jesus is about to be crucified. And he doesn't mince words here. He, he says, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. And catch the word there, folks. He didn't say trouble. He said tribulation. He's, he's picking up the, the fullest word, really, that we're going to use in the New Testament that just means bad. And so, look, peace is not the absence of problems. If he says that you're going to have peace and you're going to have tribulation, then you can have peace in the midst of problems. <coughs> peace is not the absence of pain. Look, the curse is still upon us in the sense that each one of us, at some point in time, is going to get sick and die. Our bodies are not getting stronger. Okay, I hope this isn't news to any of you. I'm looking out, and to most of you, it's not. We're going to have pain. Physical pain. Emotional pain. You know, this wasn't part of the sermon, so this is extra... um, no extra charge. Can I just say to our senior saints, one of the things that the younger families want more than anything, and this is my opinion, I'm not wrong, but you can disagree with me. One of the things they want more than anything is just authentic, honest conversations. Because when the younger families look at you, they often think you have it all together. And their lives are chaotic. They're parenting in the most difficult of times. Their marriages are struggling from time to time. And they look at you and they think, boy, I wish I had it all together. You guys are all shaking your head like, no, we don't have it all together. But do you understand that sometimes in church, we present that way? And what the younger families need to hear is that I've been there, I've made mistakes, God still loves me, can I pray with you? I mean, that's just being that simple. But I have met so many people, sorry, senior saints, that won't be honest about the struggles they had You like that sometimes people think you have it all together. And it's not the biblical story. Peace is not the absence of problems. It's not the absence of pain. And peace certainly isn't the absence of people. Right? I've quoted this before, but I was was discipling a young man who who, uh, kept quitting his work because of, of issues. Fortunately for him, he was brilliant, and he had designed all the billing system at this work before computers were a really big thing. So they kept hiring him back because nobody else knew how to run it. And so I finally sat him down, and and he didn't have a dad, and I I just really kind of spoke to him about his need to continue working. And I was very, very straightforward with him. He got it. And he said to me, Dave, it's not the humidity that bothers me. It's the humanity. I'll always, I'll always remember that. Yes, humanity is a problem. This is nothing new, I said to this young man. 
peace is not, you're not going to find it in this world in that way. And you know what? You're not always going to find it in the church either. Now, I hope that the church is better. Um, but if you look at Ephesians, for example, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul spells out who we are. And he talks about the Gentiles and Jews who weren't getting along. And he's trying to remind them that they're all one. And then in chapter 4, he talks about uh, you need to be patient with one another. You need to love one another. And you need to bear one another's burdens. You need to work with one Why does Paul have to tell them that? Because it doesn't come natural. It doesn't just happen by chance. And for some younger people, I just want to say too, you know what? You're just not going to find peace just because you have a relationship. I, I, I thought maybe one of the married people would say amen, but you know, you don't want to get in trouble, right? Because it would be amen and then an ouch, right? Look, just because we're in a relationship, that doesn't, that doesn't naturally bring peace either because it is two broken people together. So the only place to find peace, peace is a person. It's not a concept. Jesus said, my peace I give you. In context, he just said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread, I am the light of the world. And he says, here I am, I'm peace. This is it. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. And so in this little passage in 14, just those few verses, some of the things that I thought about peace is, first of all, that peace is given. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Look, that's found in relationship and completeness with Christ through faith in him, trusting in his his shed blood for us. But it's also in the point of recognizing a need for it, that we need his peace, that we need to be reconciled. Also, I mean, in one sense, peace is given. In another sense, peace is learned. He, he says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, the helper, to teach you and remind you of all these things. Peace doesn't just come. Restored relationships just don't come. They, they, they need a process. They need, they need work. And, and so fortunately, we have somebody that's teaching us that. Jesus also says in, in chapter 14 and verse 30, he says, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. And he's reminding us that this peace that that we've been given, that we're learning about is still under conflict. This hasn't all been resolved yet. I mean, death has been conquered in Christ and faith in him and we have hope for eternity. But in this world, it's, it's both here and not yet. There's still this conflict. There's still the serpent. There's still the dragon, the beast, the ruler of this world. And so I want to remind you that peace is established on the cross. Peace isn't in a song. Peace isn't in a Christmas tree. Peace isn't in a gift, in a meal, in a relationship. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, While we were in rebellion, Christ died for us. See, peace comes at a cost, the highest cost of all time. God gave his son. His son took our place. Substitutionary atonement. 
shed blood. Peace is this process of God making me whole again. Peace is a process of making God's creation complete, of getting to the seventh day where we experience rest. So maybe the most important question, how do we maintain it? And I just want to say, I I think that you and I today, more than anything, need to recognize our need for peace. And maybe if you're taking notes there, maybe just cross out the word peace and put wholeness. Because I think, yes, I need peace. I, I get it. I mean, things are chaotic right now. But do we recognize that we need to be complete in Christ? Whole in Christ. That our relationships need to be whole. They don't just need to be quiet. They need to be productive. And so... My, my challenge to you is recognize your need for God to intervene. And in that, we need to focus on the person of peace. I, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure like many of you, there's, there's things going on this week. There's, there's plannings that go on for, you know, when you're going to do things and wh- what you're going to eat and who's going to be there. And um, there's scheduling and shopping and money and all these things that go, and, and at some point, do we just, just stop for a minute and recognize the peace that we already have through Jesus Christ? That peace isn't going to be obtained through surviving the weak. Peace has already been given. Peace is there for you to receive. And so, The challenge is to live with the gospel in mind. For me, you know, when we come to holidays, I guess I kind of like to, I I have big dreams and something always goes wrong, okay? Um, There's always, you know, one of the grandkids I'm sure is not going to get enough sleep and I'm sure that, their grandmother's going to give them too much sugar, whatever it is. And a meltdown will happen, and the puppy will make a mess where he's not supposed to make a mess. And, and I'll be, why, why is our holidays always so chaotic? And you know, I think some of the just coming to a place of recognizing God already loved me so much that he sent his son. Not only that I might have a relationship with him, but that we might work together in the kingdom of God. That God has given me everything I need for peace and joy and love in the person and work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit within me. And what I'm trying to train my brain to do is keep repeating the gospel over and over and over again. Yes, certain family members 
continue to cause grief. They too are fallen and they're loved by God and in a process of being restored. My house, like your house, is in a state of decay. And at some point in time, that roof has to be redone. Doesn't mean that God doesn't love me, right? Because God's already shown me his love. Now, that seems like a silly example, but I just, so many Christians, when something goes wrong, they say, why is God punishing me? The gospel is that God is not punishing you already because he loves you so much and he's restoring the relationship. My challenge to you is to receive the peace that you already have. Peace is not based on your circumstances, but it's found in Jesus. And my challenge to you and to me is that we would just live in that peace, rest in it. Peace is given to God's people based on Jesus' work, not on your work. Trust in that. Trust in the work of Jesus. Peace is already available regardless of the season. That should cause us to worship. You know, a few weeks back in our study of Galatians, we talked about freedom. And uh, Rich and I talked about this at the, in our after-service thing last week, and I, we couldn't remember where the definition came from. But it came from our discussion on freedom, and Piper had this definition of freedom. Full freedom is what you have when you lack, when you have no lack of opportunity, no lack of ability, no lack of desire that prevents you from doing what will make you happiest in a thousand years. I just, I loved that definition. Peace is not what is going to give you peace in this moment. But what gives you peace for a thousand years? Hope is not what's going to give you hope in this moment. It's what gives you hope for a thousand years. Love is not just something that you love for this moment. It's something that you're still going to love in a thousand years. We must look at our daily circumstances in light of our eternal destiny. What we desire, God has already given us. Do we fully experience it today? No. But we have it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we are challenged to um, receive from you this morning peace. And I was praying this morning. I, I just was going back through the Lord's Prayer. And if just as you're listening, just maybe pray these same things in your heart. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I recognize in my own life, Lord, that sometimes I'm not honoring your name because I'm striving to honor my name. That I want to make accomplishments. That I want to do things. That I want to be noticed. And so, God, I pray for peace. That I would be whole in who I am that I might bring you glory. Your kingdom come. God, sometimes your kingdom come means, Lord, just come and rescue us from this planet because I'm tired or I'm hurting or I'm missing people or things. But God, you've given us a mission to make disciples. 
And so, Lord, we pray for peace in what it is you've called us to do, that we might do it in cooperation with you. Your will be done. Sometimes that's part of a prayer where I just say, God, do whatever you're going to do. But, Lord, I recognize you have a specific will for each person here, and we need to be at peace for what you've called us to do. We want to see that wholeness, that completeness in our church, in our families, in our world. God, we pray that you would give us the things. I, I, there are some maybe that need today daily bread, but for others, they just need your guidance, your direction, your hand upon them. God, we thank you that we can come and repent of sin. Help us to forgive others and to restore those relationships. And God, we pray for your protection on us, your hand upon us, that we might live in the peace that you give us for the glory of God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.